Hey, Cloudcast community, listen up. Today's show is sponsored by Datadog, a cloud-scale monitoring and analytics platform. Datadog was built to bring clarity to complex, dynamic applications, whether they're in the cloud, on-prem, in containers, or wherever you run your applications. With powerful dashboards, seamless integrations, and more than 250 technologies they can monitor, Datadog has you covered. Whether it's AWS, Azure, or Google services, your popular open source projects and products, or web security and APIs, Datadog can help you monitor them and help you collaborate around troubleshooting them and make sure they're running great. Datadog provides deep end-to-end visibility into the health and performance of modern applications. So try it yourself. Get yourself a free 14-day trial. Go to datadoghq.com slash cloudcast. That's datadoghq.com slash cloudcast to try out your free 14-day trial. And if you try it out, let them know your friends at Cloudcast sent you, and they'll send you a great, uh, wonderful, soft, awesome t-shirt with the Datadog logo on it. I wear mine all the time. So once again, that's datadoghq.com slash cloudcast. Thanks for listening, and here comes the show. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Cloudcast. It's just Aaron this week for our Cloud News of the Week. Let's get straight to it. So, first of all, I apologize for the audio quality. I'm recording this on a uh, a regular headset in a hotel room, so apologies for that. But this is just for this section. Our, uh, our, our feature after this will be back to our regular audio quality. But first up, the trend continues for funding and acquisitions this year. On the acquisition side, Dropbox picked up HelloSign for $230 million. If you weren't familiar with HelloSign, they are in the document management space. SaaS companies continue to do really well, and what is appealing to me here is the overall business model. Only $16 million in funding over 10 plus years, 80000 plus paying customers, and exit at a high valuation. And I, I, I believe... The, the models here between Dropbox and HelloSign fit very well. So really want to watch this space and uh, continue to pay attention to that one. Next up, so does everyone remember when every major infrastructure vendor in our industry said they were investing a billion dollars in public cloud? And all of them failed, by the way. Second, we have auto parts maker Bosch investing 4 billion euro to accelerate building out their autonomous car division to keep up with Waymo, Google's car division. Quick aside, uh, I see Waymo cars in Silicon Valley all the time, and it still freaks me out a bit. They, they drive like my grandpa used to, but hey, it's, it's robot cars, and you know we probably want them to drive like that. But getting back to the article here, something that is interesting to me in this article is the wood. That they say they are doubling the number of people they have to 4,000 people, which means they already have 2,000 working on this. That just seems crazy to me. This appears to be another case of a supplier wanting in on higher level action, similar to the way Samsung decided they just don't want to make Android phones. They want to have an entire software ecosystem, you know, Android Pay and, and then Samsung Pay and et cetera, et cetera, right? I'm, I admit I'm skeptical, but we'll continue to watch this space and... and also, I'll close with is is four billion the new one billion when it comes to investments, and uh, for that link is in the show notes. Third, this week was Cisco Live in Barcelona. A few bits came out of this that's worth talking about. First, Cisco is still pushing application centric infrastructure, also known as ACI. 
this time into public cloud. Cisco has announced ACI extensions into AWS and Azure as a data center anywhere solution, a similar approach to what VMware did with NSX recently. When you think about it, it makes sense. The same network control plane everywhere makes sense at a high level, but I worry about extracting, abstracting away to a lowest common denominator. I've seen this approach taken by storage vendors, and at least in that area, it, it really didn't make sense most of the time because you end up not being able to take advantage of some of the key differentiators of each of the public clouds. So we're going to continue to watch this and and, and hopefully they'll be able to really have some of those hooks in that, that a lot of us are looking for. There was also some higher, you know, fluffier level announcements, including some things in the HCI space uh, out of Cisco this week. So if any of that is of interest to you, go ahead and click the, the link in the show notes. Finally, we have an interesting article on VC funding in 2018. I urge everyone to go read this article. It's a, actually like a 30-ish page report. But here are a few of the highlights. 2018 was a record year for VC funding in the United States. Over $100 billion invested, uh, just a little under $131 billion to be exact. That's a lot of free lunches and dinners and free rides to work in the Valley. But VCs weren't the only ones. PE firms also put in a lot of money into startups this year as well, further adding a lot of equity going in. So because of the state of the markets, you're having a bit of a shift right now. Many companies are staying private longer and raising bigger and bigger rounds, extending the natural life cycle and the time to exit for many startups. The breakdown of this data is, is just super fascinating, and I encourage everyone to check it out. I admit I spent way too much time on the plane last night digging through all of this data, so definitely check out the link from PitchBook. With that, we'll wrap up Cloud News of the Week. We'd like to thank Liquid Technology for sponsoring Cloud News of the Week. Is your company planning on migrating to the cloud, upgrading infrastructure, or relocating your IT hardware? Liquid Technology CloudLast is a suite of services that helps organizations moving to the cloud. The CloudLast service team will derack, pack, and purchase your excess technology hardware. So why not increase your budget by getting money back for your excess IT equipment? Also, Liquid Technology will ensure that your company's data is safe. They provide on- or off-site auditable data destruction services. Whether your operations are in Ashburn or Amsterdam, Liquid Technology has expert knowledge in local regulations to deliver a compliant international solution to your company. Liquid Technology is an EPA-recognized dual-certified green recycler. Visit cloudlast.co forward slash cloudcast today and sign up and you will receive a Cloudlast t-shirt and one lucky winner will receive a $100 Amazon gift card. That's cloudlast.co forward slash cloudcast. And with that, Thank you very much, and on to the show. And we're back. Uh, this week, uh, we're actually going to do something, uh, you know, our, our, our guest is, might end up chuckling slightly when I say this introduction, but we're going to do something we don't normally do, and that's we're going we're gonna to talk security for a little bit here today. Um, and in order to do that, we went out and, and found um, a, a really good expert in the industry here and wanted to really just talk about some of the nuances around you know cloud security and, and really just update on security industry in general. And so with that, um, Harry Sverdlov, 
founder and CTO of Edgewise Networks. How are you doing today, Harry? Great. Thanks for having me today, Aaron. Absolutely. So tell everyone a little bit, you know, give us a brief introduction and tell everyone a little bit about about your background because you've been doing this for quite a while. Yeah, definitely have. Not to call you old, by the way. (laughs) No, definitely not. I certainly (laughs) wouldn't want to date myself. But uh, as you mentioned, I'm the founder and CTO of a company called Edgewise Networks, which I founded uh, with my partner, Peter Smith, three years ago or two and a half years ago. And prior to that, I was chief technology officer for Carbon Black. Um, prior to that, I was chief scientist for a company called Site Advisor that was acquired by McAfee. Um, so, and then we could keep going back further, but I've been in information technology for over three decades, and I've been in security, specifically information security, for the past two decades. Um, so, both everything from consumer to enterprise technology and enterprise security, it's certainly been the most dynamic uh, industry and market that that uh, I've seen, um, and it's been a lot of fun. That's that's fantastic. And to give everyone, you know, I, I kind of jokingly said that, but but you know, it is it is it is kind of a running joke between Brian and I at times that that you know there is certain topics we tend to shy away from, and and security historically has been uh, one of those topics, and it's really because Brian and I, uh, you know, we don't have the background um, per se in that that we, we felt like we've been able to have those conversations. So so Harry, let's kind of start at the start and cover some base topics first, right? So what are some of the big challenges customers are facing today, specifically in hybrid and public cloud that you're seeing? Well, one of the, you know, certainly just even at a at a broad topic, the reason why security has been so interesting and so dynamic is because so much has changed and the and the the environment, the platform we deal with has changed. If you think about it, you know, we started with personal computers and then we had corporate computers and 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 physical networks, and now we have, as you're mentioning, these cloud, public cloud, and now hybrid cloud, and all of these variations. So the form factor, the world we we live in, is constantly changing, and as a consequence, the security challenges are constantly changing. Um, and one of the biggest challenges that come with cloud or public cloud, because at the end of the day, a cloud is really just you know sort of the, the joke is a cloud is someone else's computer. Um, and there is somewhere else in the world a bunch of computers running, and that is what we refer to as the cloud. And one of the challenges that we face in security is where does the line of responsibility, where is that drawn between if you're using, quote unquote, the cloud, what, do you, what, what are you responsible for versus the provider, the cloud provider? You know, if you have a computer sitting in your in your desk or in your office or in a closet somewhere, you you generally are, you think, okay, I'm responsible for that computer. I'm responsible for its physical access. I'm going to put a lock on the door, make sure people can't physically access it. And then I'm also responsible for everything I put on it, all the software, the operating system, the patching um, with the cloud. Well, all of a sudden you're not, you obviously don't have a key to the door. You're generally not even responsible for the underlying operating system. You're essentially renting someone else's hardware, someone else's platform, and you're responsible for making sure that the things you put on it are secure, that only the right people have access. And so because that form factor is different, I think a lot of the times we struggle with either think, you know, not realizing which parts we're responsible for. And one of the biggest misconceptions often I'll see with with different size, certainly uh, smaller companies and individuals as well, is when they use the cloud, they think, okay, well, it's someone else's computer. It's someone else's security problem. When in fact, 
it's still a lot of it is still your responsibility. You're still responsible for who has access to it. What can they do? What software is running? Um, can somebody else accidentally get on top of it and start running a crypto mining piece of malware? Or could they use your rented computer to spam other people or to steal data? Um, and understanding where that line is and figuring out, well, what are the challenges? How am I going to secure access? How am I going to secure the data? How am I going to secure um, the things that are important to me without being responsible for the physical hardware, um, you know, the bare metal? Um, that's a big challenge, I think, for customers. Yeah. And so you bring up a really interesting point there. And and I kind of have, yeah, I was thinking through this earlier of my mindset from from my early days, if you will. And it's always was that kind of kind of secure the perimeter, but you're trusting what's inside, but you're trying to secure that perimeter. And then it, in at least in my mind, it kind of moved on to, okay, the, that perimeter could be secured. Maybe it can't be secured. So you needed to just secure everything. And then there was almost like you had referred to there, a, a, a mindset here of, okay, now we're almost outsourcing the security in a way, because, you know, think of it like, you know, somebody like Amazon or Azure or some of these others, the tools they implement, although it's, you know, it's, it's a tool you can use properly or improperly, but the tool, the tools they use are at scale. And so there is a certain amount of, um, uh, protection that could be provided and a certain amount of confidence that could be provided by something like that. But we, you know, am I correct in that or, or is this, you know, how is these concepts evolved and, and how is the operations of all of this changed? Sure. You know, and I think you're right that it really did start once upon a time with secure the perimeter. Um, and that's born from the fact that there used to be perimeters. If you think about, you know, when you had computers in your own office um, or in your home, well, you secured the perimeter you owned physically. You could surround everything that your employees um, were using, all their computers, and you secured that perimeter. In the case of a of computers um, and of, of a network, that would usually mean, well, I'm going to put firewalls around all of the entry points or the exit points to my network. And we now live in a world where some parts of your network are, well, there might be in the cloud. People are accessing it, not from your office, but from a coffee shop, from home, from all around the world. There are other, you might be relying on other services that are in other people's clouds because there's now all of these services that interconnect. So you don't even have primary, if you will, ownership over most most of the code or most of the business operations of what's running. And so there's all of a sudden no longer a perimeter. Um, and one way to look at it is say, okay, the perimeter is dead. But the other way to look at this is to say, well, it's just that the perimeter has kept shrinking and shrinking and shrinking so that every individual service, everything that you offer that's part of your business operation, that's the perimeter. And now instead of there being one perimeter, there's thousands or hundreds of perimeters and that's what needs to be secured um so the concepts have evolved because the form the physical layout has evolved um the other aspect is when we talk about what is the entry point and the exit points if you have a perimeter you have to have doorways so to speak if you're going to secure them in the old days in the olden days with a physical network you could literally say okay there's the wire that is going to the quote-unquote internet and that is my door that's my perimeter in the cloud, there is no such wire. There's, you know, an infinite number of ways to get into something. There may be many entry points, as I say, lots of things communicating. And so all of a sudden, this idea of I'm going to define a perimeter, I'm going to lock it down, 
doesn't really apply. It's certainly not in the same way. Um, and the idea of putting a doorway on it doesn't apply anymore. Well, and, and what I'm also wondering, too, I'm thinking through kind of out loud here, I admit this. This evolution we're talking about here, it also seems to be, you know, that perimeter seems to be shrinking, um, you know, seems to be, uh, but I'm also thinking of it, okay, at what point do you just almost assume there is no perimeter and you need to move into a different area? And, you know, full disclosure for those, you know, out there, I I come from, you know, data protection space these days, and, and the mindset seems to be more along the lines of anomaly detection, right? And, and how does something like that factor into this and then a follow-on question to that is how does you know ai and ml um assist if at all um in this area you when it comes to if you're doing an anomaly detection you're typically looking at historical trends pattern matching and, and things like that sure so yeah i think you've hit on a couple interesting points um and the first is exactly right which is just what does the concept of secure or security mean it no longer just means prevent or protect or put up a wall um and there's a number of frameworks nist uh, has a cybersecurity framework but there's a number of them that talk about the fact that if you want true security it isn't just about prevention that there has to be this assumption of breach or this idea that compromise is inevitable and if i say to you well assume that your perimeter or whatever you want to define as perimeter is going to get breached. What's the next step? And it's, and it's really easy to think about if I, if you think about even in your home security, if I say to you, your house is going to get broken into, just accept that it's going to happen. What do you do then for security? And you might say, in fact, most people would say, well, the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to at least put some cameras on the inside of my house so that I can watch what's happening and detect when I see a stranger walking around. And that's this concept of detection. <clears throat> so it's not just, a, and that's, by the way, where this whole idea of anomaly detection comes from, which is let me record what's happening and look for things that are atypical. Oh, I normally don't see people with masks walking around my house. That's anomalous. I think I'm going to alert and try to kick them out. Of course, I'm going to try and keep you know locks on the door and protect, but I have to also detect. Um, and then the idea is, well, okay, so in the world of computer science and cybersecurity, how do you do that? Um, and this old, one of the sort of interesting things, not only has these, the form factor changed, but of course, technology has changed and this idea of AI or machine learning. Um, and well, first let me say that there's a little bit of a misnomer or, or hyperbole around AI. Most quote unquote AI today isn't really AI as in the sense of Skynet or Terminator or some self-aware being. It really is pattern matching just done at massive scale. Um, with massive numbers of attributes, it's the type of pattern matching that if you tried to do it in Excel with a pivot table or you tried to do it by hand, it would take an infinite number of people, an infinite number of hours. It's perhaps possible, but just not practical. Um, and what the idea of machine learning, a lot, the, you know, the burgeoning of machine learning um, has allowed us to do is take massive amounts of data, massive amounts of features and properties and look for patterns that we wouldn't normally think. Um, so if you think about, well, what is the types of things I want to profile? Um, maybe, for example, you're profiling. I want to see how my software communicates, who's talking to who or when my what, what users are accessing which services. And I want to just start building models. 
you might take into other attributes like time of day or what country are they coming from or what other services are happening or what's the moon phase. And I, I mentioned that just by example is the point is you're going to look at everything and machine learning lets us consider attributes we wouldn't normally consider um, and find patterns that, as it turns out, are might be really good indicators of something anomalous. And the catch or the key there is you want to is AI lets us start tweaking those models because you don't want what's called alert fatigue. You don't want the model going. Things are always changing. I think that's one of the other interesting factors about the quote unquote cloud. Um, it's sort of a consequence because we don't run the hardware and because of the way it's designed. There's a, change can happen very easily. You know, the olden days when you wanted to change your software, you know, you had a 12 or 18 month development cycle. You went through lots of QA, lots of testing, lots of waterfall processes, and then you pushed something. So change was very discreet and in very uh, periodic, uh, infrequent intervals. Now change can be happening 10 times a day or continuously. And so how do you build patterns that are able to adapt to change and still detect, hey, you know what? Somebody is running a service on my computer that is different or that is, they're doing it, using it in a way that is atypical or they're accessing my database and they're reading 10 gigabytes of data when normally I only read one megabyte. And that would be the type of thing that would, of course, be indicative of, hey, maybe a bad actor is in there trying to do something bad. Well, and, and so, Harry, how let's let's pull it back then to your customers and the problems you're helping your customers with today, because we unpacked a lot there. Um, and that was certainly a, a lot of, you know, kind of foundation to talk about. What are the most top of mind issues that that your customers are faced with today? And, and what are the, the problems they're trying to solve? And, and also too, you know, is it on-prem? Is it in cloud? Like, tell us a little bit more about that as well. Definitely. So, you know, I, it was what you said, we've unpacked a lot and there's all this complexity or challenge. And of course, at the end of the day, every customer doesn't have the resources to be experts in all of this. So they want solutions that do this for them. And what are the challenges they're they're trying to solve? Um, you know, the first and, and I think sort of the, the biggest challenge um, is something we often talk about is least privilege or segmentation or even micro segmentation, which is if you think about the way a network, even in the cloud works, it's all about facilitating communications you've got all these services all these things or all these users and you want to enable them to be able to access everything because that's how your business works but that over permissiveness is exactly the environment that m malware or, or uh, malicious actors are taking advantage of so again if you go back to sort of the home metaphor you, you might have you know everybody's over for you know, a holiday weekend you got 30 relatives in the house you open all the doors you don't put locks on anything so they can all get about but that's exactly the same environment that the bad guys can come in and also move about and do bad things. And so the one of the challenges uh, and one of the primary challenges that our customers ask us about is, great, I have this environment that's allowing everything to happen, but it is overly permissive, which is a big risk for me because it's very easy for bad guys to come in and essentially walk about unhindered. So help me understand my environment and understand what actually is happening and simply restrict people to or services to be able to access the things that they need to for my business. I'm not an expert in all of this. I'm not an expert in cybersecurity. I'm not an expert in how to manage the different cloud security groups, but I want you to take care of that, make recommendations to me and tell and and 
reduce my attack surface is what we often talk about it as um, a for example you know a lot of times what what we do is we start with the things that have the most access that are critical to your business so if you think of just two examples one is a backup service so everybody's probably if you have a critical set of assets whether you're running privately or in the cloud and it has to back up all your systems and it, so it, by definition, needs access to everything. Sort of imagine a hub and spoke. It's got access to all of your systems, all of your services, all of your containers everywhere, and it backs it up on a regular basis. I want to secure that because I've basically given one system uh, godlike access. Well, that's a problem because if that one system gets compromised, now the attacker has access to everything. Another example is an Active Directory service, which is, you know, that uses my authentication for all my users. Again, it's another one of those services that's critical to the business operation, but it has too much access by definition. How do I make sure that only those services, only the backup service or only the Active Directory service is the thing that's actually connecting to all of my everything else? Uh, and so, so we see that a lot. We see, you know, as I say, the two primary use cases that we see customers asking us about is first is to just model out my behavior and look for anomalies. Even if I'm not doing anything, I just want to understand what's happening, how things communicate. And the second is now take my critical services because they are, you know, godlike access, secure them, lock them down so that they cannot be abused, they cannot be misused. Um, and again, at the end of the day, this is all about making sure that a bad actor or even an insider does not get unauthorized access to my source code or my customers or my credit card information um, and walk right out the door with them. And, and you mentioned, you know, things like segmentation, micro segmentation, and, and like these services and things like that. Tell us a little bit about how as we move to these more cloud native architectures that that are often you know it's a loose coupling of a bunch of microservices to kind of equal the old version of the larger application how does that change play into this approach to the problem yeah it definitely changes and this is again i talked about why i love security because it's changing so rapidly in fact this is that change is the reason that i founded edgewise the way we used to do that the way we used to secure things talking to other things was firewalls. And the way firewalls work is they look at addresses. They look at, oh, what's the address of, you know, the source talking to the address and the port and the protocol of the destination. And they make an allow or deny decision. That worked when everything had fixed addresses. Um, and so, again, going back to metaphors, it's kind of like today with phone numbers. We don't even know the phone. I don't know about mo you, but I don't know my kids' phone numbers. They're just a name in my in my in my phone. And maybe they're calling from Google Voice. Maybe they're calling from Skype. Maybe they're calling from their cell phone from home. Um, it, their number is changing all the time. And I want to be able to say, I want to allow calls from my son, but I don't really care about the number. What I care about is that it's my son who's calling. Um, so the number, or if you will, the address has become less important. That problem times 10 is exactly what happens in the cloud. When you have a set of microservices talking to each other, not only since you don't own the network, it's all virtualized, the systems are virtualized, their addresses are changing every day. By definition, in fact, they're constantly getting new addresses because we have this idea of elastic microservices. If you're, for example, running a website or a, an order entry system and there's high volume, you might spin up 10 more microservices to handle the volume. That's 10 new addresses that didn't exist, you know, five minutes earlier. And if it's slow, you might tear them down and they're constantly going up and down. And so the point is addresses don't mean anything 
So the old way we did things to make these decisions by fire, traditional firewalls doesn't work. The other challenge, of course, is just the form factor itself. A firewall, how did it work? You plugged a network cable into the back of it, and then you plugged it in. It Literally, you have a cable that plugs into the back of your firewall. Where's your network cable in the cloud? It's virtualized. There is no cable. And so it's a different form factor, and it's a different set of attributes. The old attributes we used to use just don't work. And the idea behind uh, how the cloud changes that is what we really need to be focusing on is identity. What's the identity of the user? What's the identity of the service, regardless of its address? And is it making a connection to something that it's authorized to make a connection to? So I want my sales order system to talk to my database. I don't care if it's three sales order systems or if my database is replicated three times or there's a failover or if it's in U.S. West or U.S. East. I just want that connection authorized. But if it's somebody else that it, that's trying to access the database, I don't want that allowed, even if they're at the same exact address. Yeah, that that's perfect. And, you know, I'll, I'll make it in mission on the show here for everyone as a, as a quick aside. Yeah. I have I have two daughters, uh, as as a lot of the listeners know. Um, one of them I know their phone number um, because it's actually my old phone number that I had for years and years and years, and I actually passed it down to her when I had a new work phone number a couple jobs ago. The other one, yeah, not sure. It has a yeah. couple sixes and a nine and maybe a five. I, I, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> Right. So, so we're, we're, we're kind of running up against our time window here. Um, last question, because I, I'm, I feel like I'm just like, okay, and not, let's throw the, this wrench in and let's throw this wrench in. Here's another one. Last question. What implications does multi-cloud have on top of all of this, on top right. of everything else we talked about? So first, of course, everything we just said about addresses and, and, and numbers meaning nothing mean even less when you go to multi-cloud. Um, but it also has implications because each of the different cloud providers, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, they have a different, as you mentioned earlier, they, each one offers a different set of, um, they don't offer security by default, they offer security options, different customizations, security groups, and ACLs, and different types of things, but they're very different. Um, some of them are more granular. Um, they're accessed in different ways. And so if you want the same level of security, whatever it is, I want security by identity, or I want certain types of authorization or least privilege, whatever it is, actually being able to replicate that across, you, you know, you don't want to have to redo that whole process when you move from Amazon to Azure or to GCP. You want to be able to apply the same security everywhere. Um, and so it represents a challenge. It means if you use the native controls they provide, well, that's great if you become an expert in whatever native controls they provide, but now you have to become an expert completely different and retrain yourself if you want to become multi-cloud and you want the same level of security, or you need to apply security at a different layer at a layer that's sort of cloud agnostic, which of course is easier said than done, but it does exist. Um, and that's part of those challenges. If you want to be multi-cloud is how do you, you're doing it for an operational benefit to be available everywhere or to have some failover, or for, you know, whatever it is you're trying to achieve, but the security, you don't want that to become a magnitude, a force multiplier in terms of complexity. You want that to just be, okay, I want it to be done everywhere the same way. Ah, that's, yeah, that's great. Thank you very much for that. That was super helpful. Now, we are, as I mentioned, about out of time. Harry, where can everyone 
follow you, find out more about what you have going on and, and what Edgeworks, or excuse me, Edgewise has going on as well? No, no problem. So Edgewise, of course, you can find out anything about us, our solutions and, and our blog and um, our white papers on edgewise.net, um, www.edgewise.net. You can follow me on Twitter at the secure word, T-H-E secure word. Um, and um, I'm available, of course, I'm Harry at edgewise.net. I love security. I've been doing it long enough that I'm happy to answer questions that are either product centric or just security in general. Fantastic. Harry, once again, thank you very much for your time. And on behalf of Brian, who wasn't able to make it this week, uh, thank you everyone for listening and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 